Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. You know, uh, I was reading a report that um, two minutes after midnight on the 14th of November 2016, the Upper South Island of New Zealand experienced a 7.8 magnitude earthquake. Now, this was the uh, second strongest earthquake in New Zealand since um, Europeans arrived. It uh, caused uh, a number of faults that were were ruptured, and that is, you know, abrupt sort of um, changes in the strata. Um, and the northeastern tip of the South Island actually moved closer to the North Island by about two metres, uh, six and a half feet. Um, there was one fault or uh, that moved about 32 feet sideways. And so um, it's the Kayakura earthquake um, after a town named after the town near one of the faults. And... Um, and so the fault is where there's a, a rapture and a real a, a sharp movement um, in the in the rock layers. Um, but um, it, it's estimated by uh, according to the uh, geonet.org New Zealand website um, that uh, about a hundred thousand, somewhere between eighty to a hundred thousand landslips occurred. And so there were, you know, some of the landslips blocked rivers and um, and so forth. And of course, since that time, some of those slips have been eroded by the rivers flowing over and through them. And um, they've actually created quite new landforms. And one of, some of the things is um, there's some new, you know, canyons have been uh, formed that can be used for kayaking that people kayak down and one um, observer who uh, uh, wrote um, in one of the New Zealand websites uh, about the event said that in the space of just four months after the earthquake a gorge formed that looked like it had been there for thousands of years Um, and that was uh, it had gouged through limestone on the Clarence River and um, the person noted that the rivers are always changing, but the speed of the transformation after the earthquake was amazing. Um, and uh, he was uh, one of the people working in the rafting uh, industry. Another rafting operator is quoted as saying, um, this gorge looks like it could have been here for a 1,000 years, but it was created in four months. The earthquake brought an entire slab of limestone up out of the ground and the river cut through it just like a saw. And this is one of the things that um, you know has impressed me. When we look at these ages, and often we go out and we see signs about things millions of years old and so forth, we've, what's happened is our education system uh, for decades now has been conditioning us that the surface of the earth is, you know, millions hundreds of millions of years old. And um, and so people tend to look at things, and we look at this with our, in our framework, in our mind, that um, these things, you know, took thousands, you know, different rock formations must have taken thousands of years to form and all this sort of thing. Whereas in actual fact, examples like this show that, hang on, no, these... 
these different canyons and that formed in just a very short period of time, in the case of these ones in New Zealand, just in a few months. And it's very interesting that um, we see that these changes in the landform can occur very quickly and produce massive changes, very different changes. And again, this just so typifies again the sort of mechanisms, but on a much larger scale, that would have occurred during the global flood. The global flood as described in in Genesis, the book of Genesis, uh, because the huge amount of water involved would have produced, you know, unimaginable hydraulic and tectonic forces and upheavals. And we know that there was a lot of volcanic activity at that time. Now, I remember seeing a um, a very high-profile um, uh, song uh, singer and, um, um, and actor person who just thought, oh, you know, this whole concept of... Uh, you know, the global flood and Noah's Ark, you know, it's a silly children's story. But the there's overwhelming evidence for the global flood. And one of the things, one of the important things that fits the Noah's Ark uh, scenario is the reality that really secular geologists have no explanation that really fits the data to explain all these massive sedimentary layers over the world and several of the structures that we form, such as these water gaps, that is where a river has cut through a mountain range. Uh, Unless we've got this catastrophic event, we can't um, explain that. We know as we uh, look at the geology of the earth that the surface of the earth is covered with these multiple sedimentary layers Um, all over the Earth, a thin layer of sedimentary layers over the top of the Earth's crust that have obviously been laid down under very large water movement conditions. And some of these, um, you know, slabs of strata, um, rivers of strata, you know, like the Morrison Formation in the US, you know, run from New Mexico up to Canada. You know, they're, they're huge areas, so they involved huge water flows that were occurring, and so it's, the flood was a major cataclysmic event. Now, the other thing that uh, the, the other aspect that comes up is a lot of critics of the Bible have said, "Well, look, you know, the Bible's just a a, um, a bit of a copy from the the Gilmish uh, epic, uh, which was you know written about two thousand BC or so, um, and uh, you know about." Um, the the time of uh, Abraham and this sort of thing, um, and that you know the story that uh, or the account that Moses has recorded in Genesis is just a you know a, a version of that. But when we look at this Gilmash epic, which um, is certainly uh, predates Moses' writing of Genesis, we see that it. It just is. It's just not scientifically viable. It's it's mythical, you know, for a number of reasons. Well, it only rained for about six days. There's only rain involved in the uh, description. There's no uh, underground water being released, and the Bible emphasises the fountains of the deep were opened up. So, it's believed that much more water came from under the earth 
and was released into the um, ecosphere than, um, than from, from rain. And, of course, the volcanic activity as well. And so the Gilmish effect, you've only got six days of just rain, no you know, uh, fountains of the deep opening up. And the vessel in which they were saved was a cube. I mean, you know, it's highly unstable uh, sort of um, boat in, in that sense. Um, and so a number of these uh, aspects just don't fit the uh, scientific description, whereas the we know the description of the ark, its size, uh, could account for a lot of the, the species of the air-breathing, uh, land-dwelling type animals. Um, there, there's so many things that that fit the explanation of the global of the global flood. The historical accounts of uh, in all the different cultures that go back pre-Christianity that talk about how the the world was wicked, that uh, God destroyed the world because it was wicked, was destroyed by a flood. Only a small group of people were were saved in a uh, vessel. Uh, and it was a supernatural event. We know the Bible describes how God brought the animals to the ark. And it was a supernatural event. And, of course, a lot of people don't accept, you know, the, the supernatural. But we, we need to remind ourselves all the time that life is supernatural. There's no natural explanation for uh, a living organism, for life. There's no explanation for consciousness um, and um you know, I, I was uh, read an article just uh, recently, an interview with uh, uh, Paul Davies, the renowned uh, astrophysicist um, who wrote the book The Mind of God, you know, and he was asked about, you know, does he think there's an afterlife and commented, well, you know, he doesn't really know. But he then pointed out that science has no explanation for consciousness. Um, so we have no explanation for the amazing biochemical machinery that we find in in cells. The, these molecular machines, they're unstable in the, the natural environment. They need to be in a protected living system to form, and they're so complex, they're not going to form by random chemical reactions. Um, everything is against it. All the known science is against life, living organisms forming by chance. So again, that's a, another miracle. Um, and there are many aspects of science that we don't understand. You know, why is the corona around the sun much hotter than the surface of the sun? Um, so this outer layer of gases we know is, is you know, way hotter. Um, the surface of the, the sun is measured at about 6,000 degrees. The corona average uh, temp- uh, temperature is 1 to 2 million degrees with some areas reaching up to 20 million degrees. And scientists have no explanation as to how it can be that hot. And of course, that's just a physical thing that's happening now, and I'm sure there will somehow, someday we will actually work it out. But there are a lot of examples like that um, that we know of where that point to, you know, particularly consciousness, the origin of life, point to clear evidence for supernatural intervention in our world. And that's what the the flood was. But of course, people still don't want to accept it. But 
again, there are so many structures on the earth where there's major problems. Now, I often mention, you know, that we talk, people talk about, oh, well, what about all the radiometric dating and this sort of thing? Well, hang on, let's look at something we can measure. With radiometric dating, we've got no reference rocks, right? We, we have no rocks that we know for sure were 100,000 years old or a million years old or 100 million years old to calibrate our method. So we don't know. But what we do know is we can measure erosion rates today, for example, and show that, hang on, the continents would erode away in less than 10 million years. We can measure the decline in the Earth's magnetic field. And we can say, well, hang on, if it was much stronger in the far past, the heat would have been so strong that um, the you know life on Earth wouldn't exist anyway. So, you know, there's, there's all these factors that are pointing to a very, very young age for life on Earth. But another one that is very, very clear evidence is the the Grand Canyon. Now, I've been fortunate to uh, visit the Grand Canyon uh, a couple of times, uh, once um, from from out of uh, a tour from out of Las Vegas and once being taken uh, privately from uh, Phoenix in Arizona. And so... Um, it's it's certainly an amazing uh, structure, you know. And in fact, it's um, the Valley of the Colorado River is about um, four hundred and fifty kilometres long, or actually, uh, yeah, four sixty six kilometres long, if the uh, nearly hundred kilometres of the Marble Canyon are included. And the depth of the Grand Canyon varies from about nine hundred metres to. 1,800 metres, uh, and the average depth is uh, 1,600 metres, 1.6 kilometres. Um, and um, the canyon's width, rim to rim, is between uh, 6.5 and uh, 29 kilometres. And so the amount of erosion that has occurred there is nearly 1,000 cubic miles of uh, or nearly 4,000 cubic kilometres of um, material has been eroded from that. That's 4,000 cubic kilometres of material. Carried by a river? No, it doesn't. It doesn't work. And um, it's interesting that even the the secular geologists really don't have a satisfactory explanation for it because again it's based on this uniformitarian scenario that things have all continued as they are for millions of years all this gradual erosion and this sort of thing and they have to assume that the Colorado River or some earlier river cut the canyon but the canyon's path does not follow the geological uh, you know structures that logically it should follow um, in fact, it cuts through high plateaus. Um, it hasn't actually been diverted by faults and it does not follow the topographical slopes of the uh, surrounding plateaus. So the Grand Canyon itself is a classic example defying the principle of uniformitarianism on which all secular geological interpretations are based. So here we've got this massive piece of evidence that we can go out and study today. We can walk around the perimeters. We can, you know, start, you know, fly over. We can do aerial studies of the surrounding topology and so forth. 
and the there's no explanation in terms of uniformitarianism of how that amazing canyon could form. Now, the creationists, of course, we uh, look at it from the biblical perspective that was a global flood, and of course, flood geology provides uh, you know a, a, a tremendous opportunity to explain the origin of the the canyon. But some of the uh, theories, again, that have been put up have, have been refined. One of the early uh, theories that uh, was put up uh, was that um, when during the floods, a couple of massive lakes formed and then suddenly um, and uh, there was some sort of natural dam of sediment that had formed and then suddenly that broke and uh, the massive amounts of uh, water uh, escaped and uh, the, there are two uh, areas there uh, nearby that could provide um, you know such lakes um, that uh, could have perhaps formed by the flood but uh, and if they breached um, they would certainly you know cut through the high plateaus and form the Grand Canyons but um, One of the reasons against these models is that um, there actually aren't evidence of shorelines um, that we would have expected to uh, form from the lakes, and Ice Age lakes uh, commonly have them. And we know that the Ice Ages form after the flood. In fact, the flood is the the best explanation for ice ages and the, the old, well, one massive ice age occurring after the, the flood. Um, and um, and the reason for this is, of course, that um, you had all this warm water formed after the flood. There would have been volcanic ash and so this uh, intense evaporation and um, and de- decline in sunlight, the cycles would have, you know, cooled the earth. And and um, creationist meteorologists have uh, studied this, done the cal- done calculations and estimates, and it seems that the peak ice age would have occurred um, roughly about 500 years um, after the flood. And that, you know, actually, you know, explains perhaps some of the famines that. Um, occurred at Abraham's time and this sort of thing. So it would take us to around Abraham's time. And, um, um, you know, why migrations occurred at that time and, and so forth. But um, again, uh, as getting back to uh, the this lake theory, there aren't evidence for the shorelines, although we see that for the other Ice Age lakes. Um, and secondly, lakes usually have their sediments in the deepest parts, and in these depressions that would have been the sources of uh, the water, if there had been a dam burst, we don't find um, the evidence of those sediments of the, the bottom of the, the lake. Um, and uh, secondly, a, a dam breach would not carve out alongside Canyons and uh, the Grand Canyon has two uh, 1.6 kilometre deep, 50 kilometre long, narrow side canyons that end at the Colorado River, one from the north and the other from the south. And so, um, water from any dam breach would have been narrowly focused down the main canyon um, from the east and not down the side canyons from the north and south. 
and to have water flowing down side canyons, the water flow from the breach would have had to have been over 100 kilometres wide. So generally, creationists now don't uh, support the um, dam breach hypothesis, or a lot, a lot of them uh, don't, and instead they uh, feature um, the uh, a second uh, or a, a different hypothesis that uh, there was. F- um, that from uh, late flood erosion after the receding uh, floodwaters formed a sheet flow or, tr- or changed from the sheet flow over the surfaces into channelised flow and it carved the Grand Canyon from the top down. And um, this late flood channelised erosion, so it's talking about as the flood was receding, um, the erosion... Um, off, uh, occurred then, this uh, channelised erosion. And actually it explains a lot of the, the puzzles that um, uh, confound scientists in terms of the formation um, of the Grand Canyon. And so some of the creationists estimate that um, about 100 days or so after the flood's peak, um, massive sheet-like flows of water into the land uh, flowed off the land into the deepening ocean basins and these would have eroded you know really really vast areas and we can see that I think it fits a lot of the topology that we see in Australia because these erosions would have planed a lot of areas flat when you drive out through central um, Australia, vast areas of central Australia, and I've done a lot of four-wheel driving trips through through the centre on the, the major four-wheel driving tracks. Um, and, and, and it's so typical of topologies to see these plateaus rising up with just tabletop tops, just extensive, huge, flat, dead flat plateaus over huge areas. And so this is exactly the scenario that um, the creationist geologists are saying would uh, fit the Grand Canyon as well. Because the flow, um, well, well, even secular geologists accept that before the Grand Canyon was carved out, there was about three kilometre thickness of sediments that had been laid down by this massive turbulence and movement of floodwater. Then a huge amount of material um, about uh, yes, as I said, about three kilometre thickness of sediments was actually eroded away from the Grand Canyon area. And this is referred to as the uh, uh, Great Denudation. And uh, so what is uh, the creation is saying? As the water level dropped, this sheet flow would start to divide into individual channels across the underlying surface, intensifying the erosion beneath each channel and cutting it rapidly and deepening grooves in the land surface. And, of course, we've seen how, for example, in the New Zealand example we mentioned earlier, and also how this sort of channelling can occur with the Mount uh, St Helens eruption as well. And so this receding water quickly carved the Grand Canyon and the other canyons, like the Zion Canyon, and the eroded sedimentary load was then emptied into deep basins in the southeast California and the ocean, and, and we see the sediment there. But one of the fascinating things is that a canyon which passes perpendicularly from one side of a mountain range to or a ridge to the other, and which contains a river, as I mentioned earlier, is called a water gap. 
And of course, there's thousands of water gaps around the, the world. There's some pretty spectacular ones in uh, Tasmania called the Gordon Splits. And um, the Grand Canyon is the world's longest water gap. And uh, these water gaps uh, pose a serious puzzle for uniformitarian geologists who generally assume that the river carved the gap. But rivers shouldn't logically, should logically flow around mountains, not cut through them. But channelised flood erosion, as water level drops, solves that mystery. Um, and particularly in the Grand Canyon, uh, if you look at the path of the Colorado River, it passes straight through several high plateaus instead of going around them. And it does not cut through the uh, Kaibab Plateau at its lowest point. It cuts through it at a higher, much higher point. As a matter of fact, um, one of the uh, papers that was published by the Grand Canyon Association uh, by W. Ranney uh, called Carving the Grand Canyon, Evidence, Theories and Mysteries, he writes, Oddly enough, the Grand Canyon is located in a place where it seemingly shouldn't be. So this is what you know, secular uniformitarianism uh, geologists are saying. Some 20 miles east of Grand Canyon Village, the Colorado River turned sharply 90 degrees from a southern course to a western course um, into the heart of the uplifted Kaibab Plateau. It appears to cut right through this uplifted wall of rock, which lies 3,000 feet above the adjacent marble platform to the east. And so that's a massive problem, um, both for secular and creation geologists, to explain how the Kaibab Plateau was cut through at its present-day attitude of about 2,500 metres and not at its lowest point of only 1,700 metres. But, again... The two channelised currents approaching from the northeast and the southeast, each cutting their own valley until they joined forces on the Kaibab Plateau at the location of the eastern Grand Canyon, would explain it really well. So um, this uh, is a it's a, a brilliant explanation. So the flood geology explains the Grand Canyon very well, really. Um, we can see the Grand Canyon really is factual evidence for the flood on a global scale. You know, some people try to say, well, the Genesis flood was just local, but we have powerful evidence that the flood is worldwide as we look at the structures all over the world. And, of course, the Bible reminds us that just as the world was once uh, destroyed by water because of wickedness, that... It's going to be destroyed again by fire this time at the second coming of Jesus, that God is going to return, see what um, we have done to this uh, planet and those that have chosen the path of righteousness, chose the Lord Jesus, their saviour, um, and want to do what is right. Uh, they will be taken from this earth. Uh, the dead in Christ will be resurrected and uh, then the earth will be destroyed by fire. So it's a very important choice to make while we can to, to choose God on the basis of, um, of this evidence. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And remember, if you want to re-listen to these programs, uh, just Google um, 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au. 
and uh, click on the radio button and on the listen and you can re-listen to this and many of the earlier programs. And remember, if you enjoyed this program or found it interesting, please put links up on your uh, social media pages and tell others uh, about the important evidence we have that supports the Bible. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 